Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Grab your copy of God's Word. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. One Sunday morning, there was this pastor, man. He got all filled with the Spirit, felt led by God to pray over the people who had some sort of special need, some special problem in the congregation that morning. And so he said, anybody with a special need who wants to be prayed for, please just come right on forward, come right on forward, and we will pray for you right here this morning. And with that, John got in line with several others, and it was his turn. And finally, and so the pastor said to him, said, John, bless your heart. What in the name of Jesus do you want me to pray for about for you today, brother? Well, John, by this point, he's a little bit choked up because of the emotion of the moment. And, and so he, he had a little tear in his eye and he said, well, Pastor, I need you to pray about my hearing. Well, the pastor, without any hesitation, reached up, put one finger in an ear and put one hand on top of his head, and he went to praying down heaven. And the congregation behind him got into it as well. They were hooping and hollering, man, just really um, uh, just out and out, praying down the glory of God and healing over John's hearing. Well, after a few minutes of that frenzy, it kind of died down, and the pastor cried out, In the name of Jesus, amen. And at that moment, the pastor removed his hands. He stood back, and he said, John's son, How's your hearing now? To which John answered, Preacher, I don't know yet. It's not till next Thursday in circuit court. My kids always tell me, Dad, don't tell jokes. (laughs) Oh, me. Listen, we hear a lot of jokes about preachers. We hear preachers doing a lot of preaching. But we don't hear a lot of preaching from preachers about preachers. All right? Well, today, we're going to do that. We're going we're to do that because that's where Timothy takes us next, all right? So after spending some time in chapter 1 on protecting the church from false doctrine, and then in chapter 2, turning people uh, and, and helping them to conduct themselves in public worship in a godly way, Paul now turns his attention to pastors who are the leaders of the church, and he focuses in on their qualifications. Okay, so I want to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. Remember, we're going through a series called Diagnosis Healthy Church. Okay, so again, what you're going to hear today, what you're going to hear today does not make a church a church, okay? But it will help a church be healthy, okay? It'll help a church be healthy. So let's see what it says here, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to read down through the 7th. The Word of God says this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? 
he must not be a recent convert. Or he may become puffed up with the conceit, uh, with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Well, thus ends the reading of the word of God this morning. Let's ask God to help us. So, Father, we're opening your word today, knowing that your word is good for us. And so, God, we want to receive it. We want to take it. We want to eat it. We want to digest it. We want to see it come out in our lives, and particularly this passage today, into the life of our church. So, Father, we pray that Eastwood would be conformed to the New Testament pattern, to the healthy pattern that we see in the Bible for this office that we're going to focus on today. It's in Jesus' name we give thanks. And all God's people said, well, amen. So as we come to this text, here's today's truth that I believe God would have us to take with us when we leave here, okay? And it's this, a healthy church has a biblical vision for the pastors of the church. A healthy church has a biblical vision for the for the pastors of the church. And to help us get that vision, we're going to ask and answer three questions today. Now, I, I want to say up front, all right, it, it, it may at some points in, in, in today's message feel kind of technical, okay? You may wonder why we're spending so much time on this. And the reason is because, guys, this is of utmost importance. Th- this right here is of utmost importance, right? Right? Because as a church, if a church is going to be biblically organized, if it's going to be biblically sound, then the men who are called to lead the church, the church itself has to have a biblical vision for what that office is. We often hear that it said this way, as go the pastors, go the churches. Okay? As go the pastors, go the churches. In other words, they're, they're going to follow their leader. And it's important for us as a church that we have a, a proper vision for the pastors of this church. Because listen, we are not the type of church, we're not in a denomination, we're not in a, an association or a convention where someone places a pastor in the pulpit of this church. Guess who does that? Y'all do, right? Y'all do. There is no man called here to be a pastor of Eastwood from the top to the bottom, if you want to see it that way, from left to right, all right? The entirety of the pastorate here. Every man who is called to be a pastor in this church is called by affirmation of you all. Just because a committee says, man, this is the man that we need, they don't decide. It's the congregation that does. So it's of utmost importance that you guys, as a congregation, have a biblical vision of the man who is to be in these offices, all right, in this office, and and, uh, fulfilling these roles, I should say, in the church, okay? So, again, this is a, a series on church health. And so we're going to wade into a topic today that that is very important for Churchill. So just know up front, this is good. This is good. So please hang in with me and listen. I give you, I encourage you right now, just go ahead and order dessert for lunch today, right? You deserve it, all right? You're going to deserve it. (laughs) Just go ahead and get dessert, all right? The first question we're going to answer is this this morning. What words 
does the New Testament or do the New Testament or does the New Testament use for this office? What words does the New Testament use for this office? So I want to say up front here that there are only two offices ordained by God for the local church. One is the office that we're going to talk about today, which Paul calls here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He calls the office of overseer. He says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. All right. So the office of overseer. The other office is the office of deacon, and we'll get to them next week. We'll get to them next week, but this week we're going to focus in the office of overseer. And for most of us here, to hear office of of overseer, that that sounds strange to us. We've we've never heard of it called the office of overseer, except maybe when you've studied 1 Timothy here, okay? You've certainly, though, heard of the office of bishop. How many of you guys have heard the office of bishop before? That's a much more common word in our language, okay? So the first word used in the New Testament for this office is the Greek word translated here as overseer, the word episkope, episkope. Now you hear our, our English word episcopalian translated in that, okay? It kind of comes across into English as episcopalian, but it also comes into English through Old English as the word bishop. In fact, if you have the King James Version of the Bible right now in your hands, you will see that 1 Timothy 3.1 says, This is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. So a bishop is an overseer. Now, I know that some of y'all come from traditions where bishop is, a, is an actual title that, that is uh, basically means a, a man who serves as a regional pastor over several churches. Right? We see that in, in Roman Catholicism. Uh, we see that in, in just several denominations, several churches. All right? Um, but there, I, you just need to understand this morning, there's nothing in the Bible laying out a regional office, okay, that, that will differentiate from the office of that local pastor. There's nothing in the Bible to make that differentiation, right? That's just a tradition of man that churches have kind of thought up, right? It's practical for them to do it. And so they take it and they slap a Bible word on it to make that office legit. But again, the word bishop itself or overseer itself is talking about the local church. A bishop is an overseer of a local church. That's literally what the Greek word episkope means, epe above, or epi, above, and then scape, looking, above, looking, episcope, overseer. And so to understand, this is one of the reasons why I love the Bible, it's so visual. To help us understand this office, God inspires the word overseer to be used here, right? So just get in our minds this visual of a man high above the church, looking down at the church, and not looking down on the church, not better than the people of the church. Don't hear me say that. Not judging the church, but seated above the church people so that he can see the entirety of the church and give direction to the church, supervise the church, 
and its ministries. Guys, this is the office of overseer. But here's the interesting thing. This office that we're talking about today is mentioned 26 times in the New Testament. And the word overseer for this office is used only five times out of those 26. Only five times out of those 26. There are two other words that are used for this office. Here's the second word. And it's the word that you and I are most familiar with. It's the word pastor. The office of pastor. We don't see it here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But we see it in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 and 12. Where the word of God says, And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, as you look at that right there, go back to to verse 11 there. You'll notice there in verse 11, you're like some of you who are really observant said, I didn't see the word pastor. (laughs) It's not in there. Well, actually it is. You won't hear the word pastor in the ESV translation, which I'm using, but it's there in the word shepherds. You see that word shepherds right there? So the NASB, for instance, the New American Standard Translation, says, and he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. The NIV, the New International Translation, says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Some of you may have the Holman Christian or just the Christian Standard Bible. And it says, and God personally gave Some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Or if you have the King James in your hand, and God gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, all right? So when you hear the word shepherds, it means pastor as well, right? The the Greek word being translated here is is the Greek word poimen, poimen. We get our English word pastor straight from the Latin word for shepherd, okay? So poi means the Greek, pastor is Latin, but in English we would just say shepherd, right? Shepherd. And again, I love the visual. Guys, this is a powerful visual when you think about the, 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 the visual, the, the, the role of this man who fills this office. Just picture a shepherd among sheep. Picture him feeding the sheep, caring for the sheep, retrieving the sheep when they go astray, protecting the sheep, leading the sheep. It's a very powerful visual. But here's the really, really, really interesting thing. While pastor is the most used word in our circles, Out of the 26 times that this office is talked about in the Bible, you know how many times it's used? Once. One time we see the noun pastor used for this office. Now we see it a couple other times in verb form, like like to pastor. But only one time do we see it in the New Testament here with this word, using this word, all right? So pastor's only used once. Overseers only used five times, so that's six times altogether. So that brings us to the final word the New Testament uses for this office. And that's the word elder. The word 
elder. When we see the word elder in the New Testament, it's translating the Greek word presbyteros, presbyteros. And so we hear the word presbyterian in there, right? But presbyteros means elder. Now, when we think of the word elder in regular language, we think of somebody who is older, someone who is wiser. So kind of get that picture in your mind. But it's not necessarily talking about a certain age, okay? It's talking about the characteristics that a person who has lived life, right? We know young people. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think of myself as young anymore, right? I did a lot of dumb stuff, right? I mean, we know that, that youth, uh, the Bible says that, that wisdom is bound up in the heart of a young person, okay? All right? And so when we think of an elder, one of the reasons that the Bible uses this is that it's a man who has proven himself to be wise, to be intelligent, to have some experience. So we get that picture in our mind. And, and really, the church in one sense just borrowed this from the Jewish culture that it sprung out of because it was the elders, it was the elders of the community who came together at the city gates to make decisions for the community. And of the 26 times in the New Testament, those of you who are uh, our, um, our, our calculator folks, our mathematicians, our accountants here, We've already said it's used 26 times, and of the six times it's pastor or overseer, that means the other 20 times in the New Testament that this office that we're talking about today, that it's addressed, the word elder is the word used. For instance, Acts 14.23 Acts 14, 23, and when Paul and Barnabas had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Apostle Paul says this in 1 Timothy 5, 17. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Apostle Peter says this, 1 Peter 5, 5. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. He's not, and he's not just talking about a certain age of people here. He's talking about the office of elder. Apostle John. He calls himself an elder in, in 2 John 1. To the elder, or the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. James, the brother of Jesus, says in James 5.14, he says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over you, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So the word elder is, is by far away the most used word for this church office. Now, some of you might say that that word elder sounds kind of church of Christ-ish, right? It, 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 or, or maybe you say, man, that, that, that sounds Presbyterian or whatever else. It don't sound Baptist to me. Well, the truth of the matter is it's just because you're not old enough. It's because you and I aren't old enough. You see, the word elder is actually old Baptist. And we could even say old Southern Baptists, listen to the 1925 Baptist Faith and Message, 
which is our doctrinal statement as a convention, all right, the Southern Baptist Convention, in 1925, we put out our Baptist faith and message, and here's what it says in that. It says this. It says, the church's scriptural officers are bishops or elders and deacons. Bishops or elders and deacons. So we could go on and on with with examples from church history, Baptist history, virtually detailing that everywhere that churches had men called elders leading their churches. So I just say that to say the idea of elders is not foreign to the Baptist church. It's just old Baptist and it's kind of been forgotten. The Southern Baptist Convention in particular went through a season in the 20 in, in the 20th century where it became very pragmatic instead of as biblical as it could be, right? We know that even knowing um, you know, in the 1980s with the conservative resurgence, we know that Southern Baptists in general got away from the Bible in a lot of ways. And so this was just kind of forgotten in those years, this language, okay? But more importantly than being old Baptist, I just want to say to you this morning, it's biblical. And I'd rather be biblical than Baptist any day, amen? <laughs> I'd rather be biblical than Baptist any day, but whether we call this office overseer or pastor or elder, all three words are talking about the same office. And amazingly, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 brings all three of those visuals together in one section, in one passage. Listen to what it says. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Uh, Let me say it more straightforwardly. I encourage the elders among you to pastor the flock of God that is among you, acting as an overseer. So all three ideas are rolled up into one office, the office that we're talking about today. And this office is for the local church. All three of those, bishop, overseer, pastor, shepherd, elder, all three of those are all, is one office in the local church, okay? So beloved, these are the words the New Testament uses for this office. But that brings us to a second question this morning. And it's this, Okay, these are the words, but what are the responsibilities and the function of this office? What are the responsibilities and function of this office? And we get our first two clues here from the list of qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We see it right here in this text, these clues as we read down that list. We see character trait after character trait helping us to see what sort of character the man holding this office must have, should have. So first, we need to say this about the office, is that it is an exemplary office. It is an exemplary office. He is to be the sort of man, the men who fill this office are to be the sort of men that other Christians can and should imitate and should emulate 
Look at it again here. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, pastor, elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, pastor, elder, must be above reproach. God, through Paul, says that this, this office, this task, is a noble task. First, I, I want to say this to you guys out here in the congregation. I hope that one day God raises up pastors out of this church. Right? I know that there are men even right now in our midst who have felt maybe that call and they've walked through some of that call. They've even stepped out to become equipped some in that call. And I want to say to you that if that's you, you desire a good thing. I know you've heard preachers in the past say, oh, I never wanted to be a preacher. I never wanted, God drug me kicking and screaming into the pulpit. <laughs> and dudes that say that, I kind of worry about them. Because <laughs> they might have misheard God, right? If they don't want to do it, <laughs> then maybe they shouldn't do it, right? It says a man who aspires, the man who desires that office. But I pray that some of you young men and some of you middle-aged men and some of you older men would desire and aspire to this office. And you're going to say, well, I've got a job, Ben. I, I couldn't quit my job. We're going to talk about that here in just a little while, because one of the misconceptions in churches is that the only men who can be called pastors in a church are men who are vocational pastors, and that's just not the case. That's just not the case. Some of you are gifted and called to be this. In fact, if I, I can make a list right now of about a dozen of you who are already doing this in our midst right now. We just don't call you this. We don't call you a pastor, elder, or overseer, but you are. You are, all right? So it's a noble task. It's a good task. It's an important task. But also, guys, it is a moral task. It's a moral task. The men who occupy this office must be of noble character. It's a noble task requiring noble character. The, 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 they're to be above reproach, he says here. And as you read down the list of qualifications, which we're going to look at in a few minutes, you really won't see anything special. You really won't. I mean, maybe one of them as far as able to teach, but let's be honest, every man, every woman in here is supposed to teach on some level to somebody, right? You're at least supposed to teach your children in the house. Husbands, you're at least supposed to help teach your wife and so on and so forth according to what Scripture says here. So everybody in one sense. So maybe that one is maybe a little different, maybe because it's talking about sort of the public gathering right here. But nevertheless, everything you see here, there's really nothing special about it as far as being in the church body, right? You see, all of these things that we read here Christians are called to be. They're, all of us are called to be these things. So what's the difference? Well, here's the difference. The men who fill this office are to be above reproach. In other words, 
I, I'm not sure I like this phrase, but I'm going to say it this way. Um, they're the, the total package. In other words, they, they kind of bring it together in a way that maybe other men don't, right? They're strong in all of these areas. They're exemplary in all of these areas. Now, that does not mean that they're perfect. Ben Simpson is not perfect. Will Smith is not perfect. We could go on and on with the other pastors in the church. None of them are perfect, but we are to be exemplary. We are to be exemplary. And, and, and when we fall short, guess what? We get to be exemplary in repentance. And I've done that. I've done that several times over the last 20 years as I've pastored churches in some form or fashion. The men in this office should be able to say to the church what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, where he said, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The men in this office must be willing and able to stand as Christian examples for the congregation. So the pastor, uh, the office of pastor, this office we're talking about today, elder overseer, is an exemplary office. The second clue as to what this office does, what are its responsibilities, is found in these qualifications list as well. Again, I, I've already alluded to this, but there's one thing on this list that is not a character trait, but rather a skill. And that is found right there at the end of 1 Timothy 3.2, where it says that a pastor, an elder, an overseer must be able to teach. So the men who serve in this office must be able to publicly teach and proclaim the Word of God so that the church can grow in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord. This is a teaching office. It's a teaching office, and every man that fills this office, must be able to teach in some capacity. But it's not just an exemplary office and a teaching office. Finally, we kind of see in the New Testament, later actually in 1 Timothy, that this is a leadership office as well. It is a leadership office as well. 1 Timothy chapter 5, we see that pastors are to lead the church well. Pastors are to lead the church well. Verse 17, 1 Timothy 5, 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Let me just say right there, that right there would be scriptural evidence that not all elders, pastors, overseers take their income, their living, their vocation from preaching and teaching. Notice what he says, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So that means that there are or should be in churches, pastors, elders, overseers who don't labor in preaching and teaching as their vocation. Yet God has called them, God has equipped them, the church has affirmed them that they are indeed pastors, elders, overseers. But again, this is a leadership office. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. The word translated here as rule is the Greek word praistame, praistame, and it means to lead, 
guide, and direct. That's what it means. Lead, guide, and direct. So the office of pastor is the office in the church that is supposed to lead the church, guide the church, direct the church. I'm reminded of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, which we focused on the last two weeks, which says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Notice here, teaching and exercising authority are listed together here, teaching and leading. And so one of the reasons that women shouldn't do this is because this is exactly what pastors are supposed to do. Pastors are to teach the church and to exercise authority over the church. So it's a teaching office and a leading office. They are to teach the congregation. They are to lead the congregation and to be an example for the congregation. So we just sum it up this way. It's an exemplary office, a teaching office, and a leading office. And I want to say to you this morning that all three of those must be together if the church is going to be as healthy as it could be. Someone once said that the pastors are the servant leaders of the church and the deacons are the lead servants of the church. Let me say that again. Pastors, servant leaders. Deacons, lead servants. And I think that's a great way to put it. But here's the deal. So many churches get this wrong. So many of them get it wrong. We're going to talk more about it next week, okay? So I'm just, I want to just give you a little preview here. So many churches, it is the deacons who lead the church. Praise God that's not the case here at Eastwood. But so many churches, the pastor may preach, but the deacons rule. The pastor is seen as being under the authority of the deacons. They're the ones who will ensure that the pastor has acted right and preaching right. <laughs> and listen, I've served in at least one church like that. All right, at least one. But there are many, 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 many churches that are like that. Some of you came from churches like that. Some of you will come on as roles as deacons here at Eastwood, and it's going to be strange to you. Because the deacons at Eastwood are lead servants in the church. And some of you, it's going, to, it's, it's going to throw you off there for a little bit when you first, in your first year when you come in to being a deacon here at Eastwood. Again, so many churches are like that, where the deacons are leading, really. And let me just say again, can the church exist like that? Yeah, of course. But we're not talking about the existence of the church. We're talking about the health of the church. And beloved, I want you to understand this morning that in a situation where the deacons are over the pastors of the church, that is so unhealthy. In fact, churches where deacons lead the church, they're often very sick. Not because deacons aren't good men who are trying to do good work and trying to do their best. But here's the reason why they are acting in a way that God has not intended, them, intended for them to act. 
They are fulfilling roles of leadership in the church that the Bible says they're not qualified to lead in. Again, we'll get to deacons next week, okay? But as we see here, the office of pastor is the exemplary teacher and leader of the church, all right? So those are the primary responsibilities of the men in this office. Be an example to the church, teach the church, lead the church. But this question didn't just talk about responsibilities. It also talked about function. What is the function of pastors, elders, overseers in the church? And, and, and here is the interesting thing. So many churches have a single pastor mindset. They have a lead pastor or a senior pastor who is really the sole leader of the church. And any other pastor on that church staff who just does whatever the pastor says. I know we're getting a quick buzz here. What's that saying there? It's a flash flood warning. Don't worry. We're way above Drake's Creek. We're all right. <laughs> we are way. Danny is on it. I know it. And if a tornado's coming, he'll let us know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Right, Danny? Yes, Amen. All right. So let me go back and say that again. So many churches, guys, have a single pastor mindset. They have a lead pastor or a senior pastor who's really the sole leader of the church. And any other pastor who's on the staff is supposed to just do just whatever that lead pastor says without really any input, right? It's sort of a top-down approach with one man at the top leading all of the other pastors. And let me just say, that's a functional way to do it. Until the sole leader of the church resigns or dies and you go two years without a lead pastor. That's why churches who have a vision of the pastor like this, they, they kind of go haywire. They either go haywire or they stop moving forward when the senior leader leaves or when the senior leader dies. And trust me, one of those two things are going to happen. He's either going to leave or he's going to die, one way or the other. And when that happens, churches, churches that think like this, they begin to say things like this. We can't do that right now. We don't have a senior pastor. We don't have a lead pastor. Anybody ever heard that during an interim period? So, beloved, I want you to see that God in the New Testament, he has a different vision for the function of this office that we call pastor. It's not that single pastor, single elder model, single overseer model. It is a team of pastors, a team of elders, a team of overseers that God envisions leading the local church. Now, some theologians, they, they, they would call this the biblical model, a, a, a plural elder model. And this goes hand in hand with congregational governance in the church. They go hand in hand together. And as we look at the New Testament, guys, again, we, we don't see that single pastor model. We certainly don't see a committee model made up of men and women from the congregation. That's certainly practical, but it's not God's best for the local church. Again, we're, we're, we're talking about not what is practical, we're talking about what is most healthy. Now, what I see 
in the scriptures a model that has a team of pastors leading the church, casting vision for the church, overseeing the church. So for instance, we read this in Acts chapter 14, 21 through 23. The word of God says, when Paul and Barnabas had preached the gospel to that city and had made disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed to the Lord in whom they had believed. Notice here, you English majors, church singular, elders plural. Church singular, elders plural. We're currently working right now, right, through the book of 1 Timothy here. Timothy was the lead pastor of the Ephesian church. But here's what we read in Acts 20, verse 17, about the church that Timothy is the lead pastor in. Acts 20, 17. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Again, singular, elders, plural. In the book of Titus, Paul says to Titus, Pastor Titus, Titus 1.5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, you got to understand their, their church planning strategy was one church in every town. One church, one town. And so again, notice here, town, church, singular, elders, plural. And we've already read this verse this morning, but let's read it again one more time. 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So again, the implication is that, the, that, that in a church there should be a team of pastors, a team of elders, a team of, of, of overseers who are leading the church, but some of those men will be vocational pastors earning their living from preaching and teaching, maybe even carrying the bulk of the responsibility of teaching and preaching, while other men on that team will be lay pastors, earning their living in another profession. But together, both vocational pastors and, and, and lay pastors, they, they make up a team of pastors that lead the local church. Again, I, I could go on and on on this, okay? But, but time won't permit. Remember, dessert. Order dessert. Order dessert at lunch, Okay? So, beloved, if we're talking about church health, which we are, having the office of pastor function as closely to the New Testament pattern is the healthiest thing that we can do. And that New Testament pattern, as best as I can discern it from the, from the Word of God, as I try to rightly divide the Word of God, is a team of pastors leading the local church. So to bring all of this together for this question here, and what was the question? The question was, what are the responsibilities and the function of this office? And the answer is, the office of pastor is to be filled with a team of exemplary teachers and leaders of the church. And so that brings us to our final question. And it's going to be a quick question. Quick answer, all right? What are the qualifications then? What are the qualifications of this 
office. And we're going to answer these very briefly. Honestly, we're just going to kind of list them, to be honest with you, okay? Because the, they're, they're self-explanatory, right? 95% of them are self-explanatory. Really, only three, only three would be considered controversial or disputable. That would be, first, the qualification of this office is to be a man. That one's disputable. That one's disputable, right? That, there's controversy over that. But we've already dealt with that, right? The last two weeks, we've dealt with that. So we're not going to deal with that one. Another controversial or disputable qualification is being a husband of one wife. And the third one is not a drunkard. Not a drunkard. Both of those qualifications are also listed in the qualifications of deacons, okay? So we're going to deal with those two next week. But here are the qualifications. Fifteen of them in all. Fifteen of them in all. And here they are. Male, above reproach, faithful to his wife if married, serious-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, manages his household well, including any children he has, not a recent convert, and 15, well thought of by outsiders. That's a pretty big list, right? That is a biblical list of qualifications, and a lot of those are, uh, you, you can go to first, uh, I'm sorry, to Titus uh, chapter 1 there, and you're going to see pretty much the same list again. It's so, it, so God put it there twice in the Bible for us, okay? But I want you to notice as we kind of close here what is not listed. And I, I want to be careful to say this this morning because this is really important. What is not listed there, and what is not listed there is a seminary degree. It's not there. A seminary degree is not there. Now, don't get me wrong. I have a Master's of Divinity from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm about to finish a Doctor of Ministry from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. So I'm not against seminary degrees or against seminaries. Praise God for them. They've helped me tremendously. But remember, not every man who is to hold this office in the church is a vocational pastor. Is a vocational pastor pastor. So I want to say to you this morning, do not replace the calling and the gifting of God on a man's life with a seminary degree. Some of the best, some of the best pastors I know, even some of the best pastors I know who labor in preaching and teaching, they are vocational pastors, they're vocational elders, vocational overseers. Some of the best pastors I know have never gone to seminary. And I bet some of you guys in this very room can name a number of men who, change, who God used to change your life. And they never went to seminary, but they were pastors. Yet they were learned, they were wise, they were effective, and they were godly men who led well. So altogether, beloved, these are the qualifications for the men who are to occupy the office of pastor. All right. I think God just said, that's enough, Ben. Here's my conclusion as the praise team comes forward, okay? 
my final prayer is this. May Eastwood call biblical pastors and follow biblical pastors to greater health and kingdom impact. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And He stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.